Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I have no comments today, and that, that makes me sad. So if you want to make me glad, please start sending some comments in. Now, on our last podcast, Grant and I finished chapters 43 and 44, which gave us deeper insight into Abram's, a, a, not Abraham's, into Ahab's, excuse me, intelligent dedication to planning for the capture and destruction of Moby Dick, and also we talked about the subsequent madness of his mind. Now, for today's podcast, Grant and I want to begin to discuss chapters 46 through 48. So, welcome back, Grant. Thank you. It's always good to have you in here. It uh, it keeps me honest. <laughs> keeps me keeps me studying. I never even knew that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, we support each other. All right. So the title of this chapter is surmises, and um, just just to just say a little bit about this at the beginning is most scholars. It, it is a hard chapter to understand, but most scholars feel that this chapter is not given to us by Ishmael but by a third-person, omniscient narrator. And if you, uh, if you remember back to our Conrad programs, I talked about this. This is a technique that Conrad uses often in his works. So, so we have to realize that in some ways, the reason why Melville did this, I think, is to add some different information, but it's different than what Ishmael already gave us. He wants to add more. And so, so that's, what, that's what we're seeing here. And essentially, what what I think uh, the reason why Melville did this is he really wants to give us some really detailed additional insights into Ahab's thinking. And so, so in many ways, this is what let let's say this is like the whole purpose for doing Moby Dick is to really study the character of Ahab. I mean, everything. This book is called America's Bible. You know, Moby Dick. There's a lot of philosophy in it. There's a lot of religion. We know that he really sp- spends a lot of time with the Bible references, but 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 there's also a lot of lot of instruction on leadership, and so so we have to see it that way. And uh, um, really, Ahab is like a tragic character. He's like Hamlet in Shakespeare. You know, he he's got all this intelligence. He's got all this incredible ability. But he can't direct it in the right way. He uses it for evil, and so, so uh, um, you know, I, I think this is what this is what um, you know Melville is doing here. Now, uh, if if you look at if you compare this to what what Ishmael was saying, Ishmael has told us already. We talked about this last time that all of Ahab's thoughts were directed at the capture of Moby Dick. But what this narrator tells us he was directed at that but that wasn't all he was thinking about and and he had a plan it was really kind of really uh deceitful (laughs) and the plan is 
He also showed the men that he was willing to to go after other whales as well. And it's really it's really kind of um, you know just like a devilly devilish, you know. And and so so essentially, uh, if you, if you look in that second paragraph, or in the middle of the first paragraph, it would be refining too much, perhaps even considering his monomania. To hint that his vindictiveness toward the white whale might have possibly extended in some degree to all sperm whales, and that more monsters he slew, by so much more he multiplied the chances that each sub- subsequently encountered whale would prove to be hated one he hunted. It, it's it's like, well, it, it could make it look like, well, if we're out hunting whales, the more we kill, the closer we get to Moby Dick. But that's not really what his whole motivation was. Right. It just shows how much of a genius Ahab was. Because while he was obsessed and insane and probably demonic in some ways, he was also clever enough to know what he had to do to keep power. So (laughs) the, the the book shows that. He definitely wanted to kill Moby Dick, but he also knew that he had to please his crew. He also had to produce enough killed whales to harvest their parts and sell the oil and, and the blubber and all that. Uh, so, so there were plenty of other objectives that would support his main objective of killing Moby Dick. He had to kill other whales. He had to provide good meals to the crew. He had to keep their morale high. He had to keep them motivated and excited about killing Moby Dick or else at any point they could mutiny against him. And they would have been justified to topple him from command because he admitted to all of them that he wasn't even trying to stick to the main purpose of the voyage. He hijacked the ship essentially to go after his own arch nemesis. So, so they could have taken him out. So he's smart enough to think about all these other factors so that he eventually can kill Moby Dick. Yeah. It's, it's just a, it's really kind of chilling. I mean, this chapter is really chilling and, uh, I, I think it's it's uh, there's there's a few quotes here that I think are really amazing. And this is the very bottom of page uh, two thirty. It says to accomplish his object, Ahab must use tools, <laughs> and he's not talking about hammers and screwdrivers. <laughs> he's talking about people and their minds. You know, he says, and of all tools used in the shadow of the moon, and again, that's kind of creepy. Because that's whiteness, right? <laughs> so, so you see, the whiteness of the moon can produce evil, you know. And it says, men are most apt to get out of order. He knew, for example, that however magnetic his ascendancy in some respects was over Starbuck, yet that ascendancy did not cover the complete spiritual man any more than mere corporal superiority involves intellectual mastership. For to be purely spiritual, the intellectual but stands in a sort of corporal relation. Now, listen, this is what's chilling. Starbucks' body, body and Starbucks' coerced will were Ahab's. Now, that's scary. He knew it. And he said, as long as Ahab kept his magnet at Starbucks' brain, still he knew that for all this, all this the chief mate in his soul abhorred his captain's quest and could be, would joyfully disintegrate himself from it, or even frustrated. Isn't that chilling? 
So at any moment, Starbuck could have rebelled. And that's why Ahab had to control him at all times. He had to show Starbuck at least the appearance of a legitimate whaling voyage. Show that, hey, we're at least going after other whales, too. Yeah, hey, hey, come on. Forget about Moby Dick. We're just going after other whales. You know, Just constant distractions so that Starbuck can't get up enough courage to lead a mutiny. Because he would be the one to do it. He's the, basically the second one in command over the whole ship. Yeah, they would, he, they, the men would probably follow him. Oh, sure. They, he'd have influence. Yeah. But he kept a magnet on his brain. Yes. Now, that's scary. And it does seem a lot like a way, the way that all the tyrants of history, the, the power-hungry leaders of today, think of people. They don't think of them as people. They don't consider people's everyday experiences and problems. They don't genuinely care about helping the people. They'll throw millions of them into the meat grinder of battle. They don't care who dies to yeah. t- to support their purpose. Yeah. They they just think of people as tools, as pawns. Uh, that's that's exactly the way that Ahab views his crew as well. Yeah, and I, I think it's even coming out, you know, with the with this mass psychosis, you know, that 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 Doctor Malone is talking about, and I don't know how many people out there are listening to a good conservative news program, but. But uh, that's what people have done with the COVID pandemic. And then, then it was the, the other variant. I forget which was the second one. Delta? Delta variant. Now then Omicron. they came out. Now it's Omicron. <laughs> yeah. And there, there is, I mean, I, I believe I got Omicron. But it was like three days. And I had a little bit of a runny nose and no fever. I mean, I just stayed home to isolate myself, you know. And we would have done that anyway. No one needed to t- tell us that. I mean, we grew up doing that. You know, I had three brothers and three sisters. We, anytime one of us got sick, they quarantined us immediately. You know, <laughs> yeah. so so. But but uh, that's really what's going on. And Ahab knew how to manipulate these guys, and and he had them all. You know, it, it even says in this chapter that he knew that. That the the sailors could be terrorized thinking about going after Moby Dick, but if they're if they're if they're forced to go after other whales, they're not going to think about Moby Dick, you know. So I think it's a, I think Melville really, I mean, to me is onto something in this chapter, and it's a lot more than about Moby Dick and whales. Well, that's right. Ahab saw the danger of his crew being idle-minded that if they weren't thinking about other things and being challenged in other ways besides moby dick like you said the terror would build in them and they would say well we don't have to plunge to our death fighting moby dick we could just overthrow ahab since he's not even legitimately leading us the way he was commanded to do yeah there was plenty of proof that they could justify mutiny plenty of proof right you know and so yeah so, uh, but it just shows the importance of morale in the yeah. forces. So, so this crew, as long as they had the fulfillment of producing enough oil, <laughs> producing enough whale parts to sell, and and it also talks about cash. As long as they had a decent amount of cash, as long as they had a, a full belly, then maybe they would keep following Ahab. Ahab was very smart and calculated in the way that he treated his crew. He made sure that they had mental stimulation and that they were cared for in a, in a good enough way that they would keep following him. Yeah. And, and he also, I think it's, I thought it was really interesting on the bottom of page 231 where he talks about 
that uh, the Ahab also realized that he had to make them think they were going to become rich. And it's just like the ancient crusades. You know, they, they were trying to get all these. I mean, if you look at the way, um, you know, uh, Europe was set up, it's like, you know, there were these big landowners and there were all these servants that, that served them. Well, that's how they got their armies. And so what they had to do is, you know, the Catholic Church either promised them all their sins would be forgiven or they promised them wealth. You know, and so when they would, when they were trying to take Jerusalem, they would take all the goods from the, the Arabs and things like that. You know, and so so uh, it says there that that uh, that Ahab knew he had to get them in their minds to think they're getting rich by doing this, by going after Moby Dick. Well, and he mentions there how the Crusaders they didn't just wait until they got to Jerusalem. They they they, they were they had to travel thousands of miles all the way through Europe to get into the Middle East. And they were pillaging and destroying and raping <laughs> and raping and looting <laughs> all the way yeah. to Jerusalem. But all their sins were forgiven. Exactly. If they took Jerusalem. But it's crazy. See, they had to have fulfillment of what they really wanted, which was violence and glory and riches that that had to be fulfilled all along the journey or else it wasn't worth waiting all that way until Jerusalem. And it's yeah. the same here. That it wasn't going to be worth it to the crew to wait until Moby Dick. They had to keep killing other whales yeah. until they got Moby Dick. Yeah. Um, the, 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 uh, you, you brought up the thing that, that he was trying to get them to see that they were still fulfilling their obligation to the owners, too. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty sadistic, They're going after all these other sperm whales. When really the plan is, I'm going to kill as many sperm whales as I can, and eventually I'm going to get to Moby Dick. <laughs> and that's what we had that in the last chapter. And so you can see it's just, it's just exactly what his plan was. You know. Well, and the thing that makes it so deceptive is it seems like Ahab's plan and the plan of the owners of the ship are basically the same plan because both of them involve killing plenty of whales and harvesting the parts and making the money. But the thing that makes Ahab's plan so different is his plan is a hundred times more dangerous. They're not just waiting back and, and attacking sperm whales in a wise, smart, safe manner. They're, they're going after a whale. They're going out of their way and, and, and trying to go after the mightiest of all the beasts. And they're not going to, use the environment to their advantage they're not going they're not going to take the usual precautions they're going to chase this whale down instead of letting the whales come to them essentially yeah it's way more dangerous so yeah. it, it looks the same on the surface but ahab's plan would lead to death yeah and it's, it's interesting that at the end of the chapter uh ahab is he really takes it to kind of the 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 ultimate proof and he he uh he says uh, at the end of the chapter, for all these reasons then, and others perhaps too analytic to be verbally developed here, Ahab plainly saw what he must still in the Pequod's voyage. Um, wait a second, did I skip a line? No, he must still, in, in a good degree, continue to the natural nominal purpose of the Pequod's voyage, observe all customary usages, and not only that, but force himself to evince all his well-known passionate interest in the general pursuit of his profession. <laughs> and so, so he commands that essentially he says, but as, a, as all this as it may, his voice was now often heard hailing the three mastheads and admonished them to keep a bright lookout 
and not omit reporting even a porpoise, this business was not long without reward. In other words, he, he's really sounded like what he should have sounded like all along. Well, you know, you guys get out there and you let us know when the whales are showing up. And so he's, he commands them, you get these whales. And, and he forgets to talk about Moby Dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he's also micromanaging them. So he's not leaving them any quiet time to start grumbling and creating a plan to overthrow him. They don't have any time to talk behind his back because he's always there amongst them controlling every detail of what is happening on the ship right now. Right. But, uh, but every now and then there's an Archie that shows up. <laughs> <laughs> Archie, what's that noise? Ah, get this, get this bucket and get your water done. <laughs> but see that, that is, that's the, uh, let's talk about the, the, the party in America that's in power. That's something they don't see. There's always something that's not going to go right, and you know it's it's uh you know all their plan, and it's it's sad I think what they're doing to the president you know that he is he's just a puppet, he's going to break, and they don't they think they can still win it's it's going to go bad. Well, doesn't doesn't that show the massive difference between a plan that looks nice on paper and actually trying to put it into practice? Democrats make all these major promises and they fail every time to every keep time. basically any of them. Yeah, and they, and yet they're so convinced that their vision is the best vision that they'll never admit they're wrong and they'll keep plunging deeper and deeper in that same direction, and, and the whole country suffers for it. And it's just like Ahab. He thinks he has this perfect master plan. He is a master strategist, as we saw earlier in the book with with those maps. Yeah. And yet his plan simply is not a good one. It's a no. dangerous, deadly plan. And and he's he's in the most danger because <laughs> if they all go down with the ship, he's gone. He's gone down, too. Exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, all that beautiful, you know, brain he has is not going to, uh, you know, it's not going to be be a. Uh, Helpful. All right. I think that's, that winds up chapter 46. Let's go into chapter 47. It's uh, it's really a short chapter. It's called The Mat Maker. And so uh, let me just set up the scene for our conversation. So, uh, the, the, and I can explain a little bit. I had to look some of this up and make sure I understood it. So uh, this scene is uh, Ishmael and Queequeg again. So it's, it's kind of like the... I think Melville's setting up for us a situation that Ahab would really pay attention to. You know, is is does he have their minds? Does he have their minds focused? Because it seems like this is a nice afternoon, and it's, the scene is set up where Ishmael and Queequeg they're making what they call a sword mat. Now, I did look that up and to understand what that was. And essentially, um, what it was, it's a tightly woven rope. Um, it's like a it would be like a mat, but they use it to protect certain parts of the ship from getting chaffed, you know, from like a, a sail hitting like a, another wood part of the ship. So they would protect that area. And, and what it, it really does look like a mat, but it's it would be something that you would use a loom to make. You know, like if you've ever seen, um, you know, uh, I know there's a lady that I know makes these uh rugs for bathrooms and things and she weaves it together you know so so essentially what the reason why it's called a sword a sword mat 
is because they use a wooden sword to do the weaving. And if they don't have a loom, but it takes two people to, you know, to, to weave the loom and then the, you know, push it back the other way. And, uh, uh, it also says there was kind of like a warm and lazy afternoon so that it's, it's almost like all the work is done on the ship and now they're all making these mats. So, and, and it's exactly the kind of time that Ahab doesn't want to let the men do because they're, they could start thinking, <laughs> you know, so, so it, it, it uh, the explanation of it is kind of nice. It says, I was the attendant or page of Queequeg while we were busy at the mat. As I kept passing and repassing the filing or woof of a marlin between, uh, of marline between the young, long yarns of the warp, using my own hand for the shuttle, and as Queequeg, standing sideways, ever and anon did slid his heavy oaken sword between the threads, and oddly looking off upon the water, carelessly and unthinkingly, drove home every yarn. I say, so strange a dreaminess did there uh, then reign all over the ship and all over the sea, only broken by the intermittent dull sound of the sword. It seems to me as if this were the loom of time, and I myself were at a shuttle mechanically weaving and weaving away at the fates. <laughs> and so I was wondering when we we're going to see this again. But, but Melville did wonder about fate. You know, is, is it your fate? You know, is, is you know what what is your fate? Is this that so many people, you know, think that 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 the uh, you know we're, our lives are governed by fate, and it's no, we we actually have more control over our lives than we want to recognize. Right, and then he he does bring up free will, but he says it's it's like the two the two parts being woven together. So it's like you have free will between these two very limited <laughs> uh ropes and so it's 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 free will with a very definite limit so essentially he is talking about fate fate with very little leeway yes yeah it's inter it's interesting the the analogy that he that he draws there from something as simple as weaving these ropes together yeah. in, into sword mats and now he's talking about time and fate and limited free will. <laughs> yeah, it just it just shows the depth of his thought again, the the silence and the the depth of thought and study that Herman Melville put into the book. Oh yeah, it's, it it really it it really is is amazing. And then uh, of course uh, it, the the whole scene gets changed. And uh, but again, just for people out there, uh, don't be surprised that Melville starts talking about fate in the middle of the chapter. I mean, this is this is the way it was. He said they were weaving, and the next page over, he says they were weaving and weaving away. They were just a nice, lazy afternoon, and all of a sudden uh, they hear that there, there's a, there she blows. And so there's a whole pot of sperm whales. And, <laughs> and good, good old Tashtigo the Indian is, is bellowing from a, a t atop the ship. Everybody's, you can almost see them. It's like if it were a musical, they'd be singing. They'd be singing nice songs and weaving away, and and it would be all crazy stuff. <laughs> and uh, but but then, what what is also what also happens in this chapter once they once they hear Tashtiko yelling, there she blows. Well, essentially they snap out of it. It's, right. it's time to to stop daydreaming and chase these whales down. Yeah. So then they make all these rapid preparations to drop the boats into the water, and they all essentially 
jump in head first. I mean, they, yeah. they are that excited to get going after these whales. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah but the, the thing that the, the, the thing is what, what really comes out now at the end of this chapter, very end of it is, but at this critical instant of sudden exclamation was heard that took every eye from the whale. What a start glared at the dark Ahab who was surrounded by five dusky phantoms that seemed fresh formed out of air. So Ahab summoned his his phantom crew from from the below decks. So the phantom crew is now out in the open. <laughs> Finally, everyone gets to see them. They they had suspicion. At, at least people like Archie did, and yeah. now and now it's for real. Yeah, it actually happened. And and you can be sure that that uh, that when we get into the next chapter, Archie doesn't waste any time <laughs> telling everybody, "I told you so." You all thought I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you all thought it was this the the the, the uh, biscuits in my stomach. <laughs> so yeah. So uh, uh, anyway, that that to me, this is just like a little small inter uh, intermediate chapter, but but it's like he's setting up now what he said, what he talked about before, what the what the omni- omniscient. Yes, I, I, it doesn't sound like you read. It's just, <laughs> the omniscient narrator was trying to tell us this is what was going to happen. You know, this is a, this is this really is fitting into Ahab's plan. Yes, get them all excited about the whales, and he's so excited about it. He says, "Okay, it's time to, to introduce the dusky phantoms." You know? <laughs> so, all right. So, do you think we had hit all the thing we can there? I think so. All right. So now, now we're on to the one of the longest chapters in the book. And we're not going to have time to finish it, but let's start anyway. Okay. So uh, this chapter is called the the first lowering, and essentially what it does is it introduces us to the character Fidela, uh, who is kind of like Ahab's spiritual mentor, and he he actually uh, he's actually a, a prophet like Elijah. Only this guy is not crazy. <laughs> well, it's it's amazing because Fidela basically. It shows in this chapter he is incredible at at steering and directing a boat, and it, it's like the the phantom crew, Ahab's best friends, they they trump every other boat crew. The other the other three boats can't even keep up with yeah. Ahab and his crew. They're so far ahead chasing these whales. Yeah, they're they're they're, they're, they're they say they're the Manilas. They're the, they call them the yellow tigers. So they're obviously of Asian stock. And, and Fadala is a white though, right? And I then and then the white. other four right. are Asian. Are Asian. Okay. But but he wears a Chinese jacket, black. You know, it's yeah. like, you, you kind of look at this guy as you know, if if you uh oh there's a lot of people today maybe into yoga and Chinese things and you know, uh you know, Hindu things and all that, but it's it's kinda like I, I would see him, he could almost have a man bun. <laughs> <laughs> You know, at the top of his head, but he's a smart guy. He's not dumb, and uh, but but even it says there that they're that these men are like just steel and bone. They are they can really make these they can really move these boats along. You know, they really know what they're doing. And it's like I said, they're the they're like the crack Navy SEALs of well killing. And even though Fadala is an old man, I mean, yeah. they, he's still. Is it, it seems like he's in peak physical condition the way that he handles the boat. Yeah, and and really, I mean, uh, I, you can be that in that good peak condition at 
at an older age and they know that and then because of the baby boomers have done so much research on the human body you should still be strong at 70 and 80 you know you can be but you have to work at it and eat right and exercise regularly you know so so but but uh uh it, it, let me just read this this part of it's on page 237 so this is when they they uh this crew gets out there and says, hardly had they pulled out from under the ship's lee when a fourth keel coming from under from the windward side pulled around under the stern and showed the five strangers rowing. Ahab, who was standing erect in the stern, loudly held Starbucks, stub and flask to spread themselves widely. So, so this was supposed to be a spare boat that they would have if they needed it. And then you got the five guys, you know, Fidella and the crew, and Ahab's in there too. And he only has one leg, but he's standing up in the boat. I mean, he's excited, you know, and, and he's getting these guys all charged up. And and he starts, you know, giving directions to Starbucks, Stub and Flask. And they're like totally confused. <laughs> like, what are, what are we supposed to do here? It says, but with all their eyes again riveted upon the swart Fidella and his crew, the inmates of the other boats obeyed not the command. They're going, what? They're still, they're, they're like thunderstruck by these guys. And Captain Ahab said, Star, Captain Ahab said, Starbuck, spread yourselves, cried Ahab, give way, all four boats. You, Flask, pull out more to leeward. So he's saying, he's really um, telling his own crew to get out of the way, let these guys lead the way. And, you know, they're, they're going, what? You've <laughs> been training, you know. And then Ahab says again, spread yourselves, because way all four boats. You, Flask, pull out more to leeward. Aye, aye, sir, surely cried the little kink post, sweeping around his great steering. Oh, lay back, addressing the crew. There, there again. There she blows right ahead, boys. Lay back. Never heed yonder yellow boys, Archie. So now Archie's, <laughs> Archie's getting corrected. He says, oh, I don't mind him, sir, said Archie. I knew it all before now. Didn't I Didn't I hear him in the hold? And didn't I tell Cabaco here of it? What say you, Cabaco? They are stowaways, Mr. Flask. <laughs> so, so Archie says, I told you so. <laughs> well, that's all the time we have for today's program. I didn't think we would get through all that. So uh, 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 next time, Grant and I will... Uh, Continue discussing chapter 48, and then we'll get on to chapters 52 and 53. So, again, we are coming close to the end of our Moby Dick series, so you can still buy Moby Dick at Amazon.com. You may also be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com, and you may also be able to find a copy in your local bookstore. And, of course, you can also check your local library. So, please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at JBLiterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.